0: Welcome to Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. Today, as Russian forces tighten their grip on Crimea and Western leaders warn Vladimir Putin that his actions in Ukraine will carry a serious cost, we ask what Putin will do next and what, if anything, the West can do about it. Thousands of Russian troops have entered Crimea, a majority ethnic Russian enclave in southeastern Ukraine, in response to last month's toppling of the government of Viktor Yanukovych in Kiev. Russian President Vladimir Putin says the troops are in Crimea to defend the interests of Russian citizens there. He told a news conference that he has no plans to send forces into other parts of Ukraine, but didn't rule out doing so if circumstances change. Western leaders have reacted with outrage to Moscow's actions, with President Barack Obama threatening targeted sanctions and asset freezes and suspending military cooperation with Russia, and the European Union calling an emergency summit in Brussels on Thursday. To discuss the latest developments, I'm joined from Crimea by our correspondent, Daniel McLaughlin, and here in studio by the Irish Times foreign policy editor, Paddy Smith. Dan, what did Vladimir Putin's press conference tell us about his intentions in Ukraine?
1: Well, basically, he left uh, all his options open. Uh, We've seen, uh, according to uh, Ukrainian authorities, uh, anywhere between 6,000 and 15,000 Russian troops introduced in Crimea in recent days. And uh, although Putin did say that there is no need for bringing in forces uh, in other parts of Ukraine, he certainly said that um, the possibility exists. Um, He has made it clear that he he feels that Russia is defending the interests and the safety of Russian speakers and ethnic Russians in Ukraine. And he's also made it clear that he's not going to bow to any kind of threats of sanctions coming from uh, the United States or from the EU. And he also defended the legitimacy of the operation by saying that it was actually requested by the man that he still considers to be the legitimate president in Ukraine. That's um, Viktor Yanukovych, who was ousted on uh, February 21st and has now sought refuge in Russia itself.
0: What's the atmosphere like there where you are? And how visible is the Russian military presence?
1: The atmosphere is actually quite calm. On uh, the Crimean Peninsula, we have a... Uh, something like a 60% ethnic Russian majority. And many of those people are, are very, very see the Russian troops here. They feel they are a source of stability and security. Also, I'm currently in Sevastopol, which is the main base for Russia's Black Sea Fleet. So people here particularly are very used to seeing Russian military personnel around, Russian vehicles around. What we're seeing on the rest of the peninsula is uh, radically different to the usual situation, however. We're seeing all the Ukrainian military facilities surrounded by Russian troops and by pro-Moscow militia who are supporting those Russian forces. We're seeing roadblocks on the main highways, and we're seeing vessels from the Black Sea Fleet out in the bay, just off Crimea's coast. So um, among the Russian population, there is a sense of uh, satisfaction and, and calm among many of them. They're pleased to see the troops here. But among um, other groups, particularly the Tatar minority here, who are, who are very... Uh, unwilling to, to be closer to Russia. Um, they are very, very concerned by, by what all this could hold in the months and uh, the weeks and months ahead.
0: And the Ukrainian uh, armed forces who that are stationed in Crimea, what are they doing?
1: They are effectively barricaded into their into their facilities. Um, some of them have uh, left. Some of them have lay, laid down arms and, and left the facilities and handed them over to the Russians. Some of them have been driven out. Um, but the majority of them, it appears now, sort of uh, drawing in reports from all over the peninsula, seem to be refusing Russian demands to surrender, and they're staying inside their their facilities. They're, they're outnumbered, um, they're outgunned, so they have no chance of really fighting their way out or driving off the Russians. And the government told them that that is absolutely the last thing they should do. There should be absolutely no resistance, there should be uh, no armed resistance, there should just be, um, they should they should maintain discipline, stay inside their facilities and do not give, as Kiev sees it, the Russians any reason to send in more troops or to open all-out war in Crimea.
0: Well, the, the government in Kiev has uh, described Putin's action as an act of war. But uh, if, as you say, they're urging calm where their own forces in, uh, in Crimea are concerned, what are they actually doing or going to do in response?
1: The, the government has said itself that there is very little that it can do to to fight the military might of Russia. Um, it's really relying now on its, on its Western partners to put enough pressure on Russia in different ways to try and um, force Putin to pull back those forces from Crimea and certainly to not introduce forces into any other regions of Ukraine. That is why it's, it's vitally important for the government in Kiev now to, to win the very firm backing of the European Union, the IMF, the financial support, the United States. We're seeing John Kerry visiting the U.S. Secretary of State, visiting Kiev today. We're expecting IMF officials today, or if not today, very shortly. We've had lots of EU officials coming through. So basically, Kiev has said, we can't do this on our own. We can't fight Russia on our own. We need our Western partners to do everything they can to rein in Vladimir Putin on on what Kiev says uh, is just a, a reckless military adventure.
0: Paddy Smith, this standoff over Ukraine is being described by some Western commentators as a new Cold War. Is that accurate, or are we really dealing with something else, a kind of aggressive, irredentist nationalism? Uh,
2: A bit of both, actually. The the reality is that uh, uh, it's not a Cold War in the sense that the two parties to the Cold War were very separate. these days, the Russian economy and the Western economy are are totally interdependent. There are there are huge trading and investment links in both directions. And you, you look at, the, for example, the Russian oil industry. Huge European companies like BP or Royal Dutch Shell have have massive interests in, in inside Russia. So uh, that from the the characteristics, if you like, of the standoff are, are are going to be different, and the means employed by people will will, will inevitably be different but the, there is also a reality that in in intervening in in uh in Hungary in 1956, in Czechoslovakia in 1968. The Russians similarly used the excuse of um, fascist uh, forces threatening to overthrow democratic governments, protecting Russians, uh, protecting uh, citizens. And they had their stooges who, from Hungary and from the Czech Republic, who invited them in, notionally a bit like Yanukovych. So uh, putin 's actually behaving very much like uh, a, a, an old Soviet leader. And, of course, he himself,
0: in 2008, sent Russian troops into the Georgian region, regions of South Ossetia and Abkhazia. And once again, it was on the pretext of pro- protecting the Russian population there. And at that time, the West threatened all kinds of action. But in the end, very little happened. Do you think he's following the same roadmap this time?
2: I think he understands from the Georgian experience that there is a a relatively small amount that the West can do and he's willing to pay the price of uh, international uh, opprobrium I think that this time round, the economic price is going to be larger, not necessarily because the, the West imposes economic sanctions, which they're talking about, but because the markets are, have actually taken a very uh, dim view of, of this. They are worried about the breakdown of this interdependence between the West and and, and the East and and the, wiped something like 10% 11% off of Russian stocks yesterday ruble fell there's a continuing flow of capital out of russia so those those are are different from the georgian situation
0: uh, dan you've been a close observer of vladimir putin for many years is there anything that the west can do that putin actually fears uh, it's
1: it's very hard to see what they can do to to really rein him in if he is determined to um, portray what he's doing now in, in Ukraine as in keeping with his idea of himself, I think, as defender of the Russian nation and also of, of historic Russian land. The, the the links between Ukraine and Russia go back for many centuries, and uh, he believes that, that the people of Russia and Ukraine are, are in, in some ways inextricably linked. Um, certainly in Crimea, those, those links go, run deeper than anywhere else in Ukraine. So, with that in mind, it is hard to put pressure on Putin. I think, as Paddy says, maybe the financial aspect would be one that that would be of most concern to him um, and certainly to the the major businessmen, the oligarchs, many of whom support Putin. when we look at uh, at the the um, value that was lost on the Russian stock market yesterday, a plunge in the ruble, we saw a very sharp reaction this morning from Putin's uh, closest advisor on, on Ukraine, a man called Sergei Glazyev, who who said that if the U.S. went through with threats to impose some kind of financial sanctions on Russia, Moscow would be very quick to uh, respond in its own way by trying to uh, divest itself of Russian investments, to get out of uh, U.S. treasuries and bonds, and to, to try and almost uh, redirect or reorientate its economy away from the United States and the European Union and look to foster links to the south and to the east, as Glazius said, which would mean uh, most obviously towards towards Asia and towards uh, China, rather.
0: And finally, Dan, in Crimea itself, what are the next steps? Are we watching a slow-motion process of secession, or can this thing be halted? Uh, I think a lot of people
1: in Ukraine, a lot of people in Kiev... Do fear very strongly now that that, that Crimea might be lost. Uh, a, a process has been put into motion by which Russia effectively controls this region now. A lot of the people here actually support that process because they have been, through watching Russian media and listening to Russian politicians, have been made to fear very strongly a Kiev government, a new Kiev government that Moscow has depicted as as fascist, basically, and extremely anti-Russian. Um, Later this month, the new authorities here um, have called a referendum on Crimea's status. That could lead ultimately to much broader autonomy within Crimea, but it could also foster stronger and stronger calls for for union with Russia. So we're seeing a, a very, very fast development here, and many Ukrainians, I think, and many Crimeans, and perhaps many Russians as well, feel that all those processes are leading uh, Crimea away from Ukraine and towards much, much closer contact with Russia and perhaps ultimately full integration with Russia.
0: Daniel McLaughlin in Crimea, thank you. You're listening to Worldview from the Irish Times with me, Dennis Staunton. Now, to discuss the Western diplomatic response to Russia's action in Crimea, I'm joined from Berlin by Derek Scali and from Washington by Simon Carswell. And Paddy Smith is still with me here in studio. Simon, Barack Obama has been talking tough about Ukraine, but what's he actually doing?
3: Well, at the moment, he's focusing on diplomatic and economic steps to force a climb down. He's also provided what? What he's describing as an off-ramp. This is an exit route that Putin can step back from the crisis and de-escalate things by allowing international monitors in to watch out for any potential abuses that Putin is claiming the Kremlin is claiming uh, against uh, Russian nationals and Russian speakers in Ukraine. Uh, steps have been baby steps so far. He's the US have postponed trade talks, suspended suspended military ties. They've withdrawn preparation from preparations for the G eight summit next year in Sochi. Um and they've also, they're also planning to ban visas and impose asset freezes on high-level officials in Russia involved in these events in Crimea, as well as look at imposing uh, asset freezes on public companies, Russian public companies. There's also talk that the Congress could pass their own sanction, sanctions against Russia. But for some, this hasn't gone far enough. You've the likes of uh, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham saying this is a symptom of a, a weak and indecisive president, and he's inviting aggression, such as what's happened in Crimea. And you have Republican Senator John McCain... He's blamed this Russian aggression on what he described as a feckless foreign policy in which no one appears in America, no one no one believes in America's strength anymore. So they want Obama to go much further. They're saying, you know, he could do things like restore the missile defense systems to Eastern Europe, go as far as kick Russia out of the G8, um, and one former George Bush, advisor, I spoke to, suggested this week that maybe the U.S. could move warships into the Black Sea or provide military assistance to Ukraine's fledgling government. So, They're saying Obama hasn't gone as far as he could. And also, this is regarded in Washington as the biggest test for uh, President Obama on his foreign policy since he came to power.
0: Now, explain that, because Barack Obama has uh, obviously been fairly popular in terms of his foreign policy and the way he's conducted it. And although Lindsey Graham and John McCain have seldom seen um, military intervention they didn't like, we got the impression that the American appetite among the public for military interventions had somewhat diminished.
3: Well that's certainly the case and after 13 years of war the American public wants and approves of the Obama administration and his plans uh, to, to withdraw from Afghanistan and having ended the war in Iraq. This is a war-weary public. They do not want further conflict. But in the context of what Uh, Obama is doing, it's seen as weakening America on the world stage. And certainly the view amongst Republicans and and, uh, President Obama's uh, uh, rivals, even though it is not publicly popular, they see this retrenchment as being dangerous for the U.S. and dangerous to U.S. national security. If you look at the series of major uh, foreign policy pronouncements that he's made in speeches, if you go back to June 2011, where he talked about the tide of war receding and looking to focus on nation building at home, to his talk the following year where he said, you know, we need to end this long-term nation building with large military footprints that the U.S. are involved in. And then you had last week where they're actually putting this policy into practice where they announced major cutbacks in in the U.S. military to reduce the size of the army to pre-Second World War levels. So this is the Obama administration saying, we do not want to get involved in long-term conflicts. We do not want to get drawn into major geopolitical conflicts. Yet when you look at what he has done on a diplomatic level, really it's been very weak. There's been a, a wobbly, a very shaky response to the Arab Spring. There's been dithering over Libya and Egypt. And then in Syria, which is uh, the most damaging aspect and the most damaging instance of, of, on Obama's foreign policy, where in, in August 2012, he set a red line for chemical weapons use by the Assad regime, yet he didn't act on it. And when he did, he didn't go as far as he should have gone in some people's eyes. He had said that stage, you know, we're, we're going to look for an unbelievably small strike against uh, against Assad and then he backtracked and, and said well he, he wanted the approval of Congress and when that looked like it wasn't going to happen um, Putin became an unlikely saviour for Obama by suggesting this offer of well, why don't why doesn't Syria disarm itself of chemical weapons so in a way uh, this was a really embarrassing um, move for Obama and reflects uh, what many of his rivals see as a weak president. Uh,
0: Paddy uh, you were talking earlier about uh, the way in which Russia and the West are are economically interdependent, but they 're also diplomatically interdependent and is it not the case that Barack Obama needs Russia for a number of his uh, important diplomatic initiatives, notably uh, the uh, uh, seeking a, a resolution of the nuclear standoff with Iran and also a resolution re- regarding syria
2: yes i mean the, the, the one real success of obama 's foreign policy has been to get Iran to commit itself to to disarm uh and and that has been possible because the russians have played along that the russians have blocked uh, on the basis of you know uh, suggestions that that national sovereignty of the Iranians is involved. They've blocked any kind of uh, resolutions uh, at the at the UN which might infringe on on that. Which is ironic, given that they're now infringing the national sovereignty of the, of the uh, of the Crimea and the, and the Ukraine. Um, yeah, I think um, John McCain criticised back as far as the elections um, Obama's attitude to to Russia and and the suggestion. That uh, Obama would talk to the Russians rather than confront them, uh, so uh, uh, McCain is, is sort of taking playing, taking great joy in in what he sees as uh, Obama's discomfort there. But I think it, it's important also to stress that it, that even McCain is not suggesting military action, and uh, very firmly saying military action is is out of uh, the out of the question. And if we look at the sanctions issue, it's it's clear that um, the Americans are actually much more. Gung ho than the Europeans. The Europeans are are really quite coy about Europe, about um, uh, financial sanctions against against the Russia because of their own financial interests. Uh,
0: Simon, in Washington, everything anywhere in the world tends to be viewed through the lens of electoral politics. And if we look at the possible runners and riders for twenty sixteen and for the presidency, uh, is there do any of them have anything to fear from Ukraine blowing up as an issue?
3: It really hasn't featured largely yet. I mean, it's still only in, in, in the first week of the crisis to have interpretation on kind of 2016. But again, they would be looking at, you know, Republicans saying we need to have a strong foreign policy. Is the retrenchment that the Obama administration is, is leading from the U.S., from world foreign policy, is this going to be a sign of weakness? And the, the talk amongst Republicans is that it, it is a sign of weakness and that this will damage America's standing in the world. So... The, the view of many Republicans would be is, well, we need to speak str- more strongly and also need to carry a bigger stick. And while they're not advocating military action against Russia or anything of the sort, they're saying that they're pushing Obama to um, to move a little bit further and act, react a little bit more aggressively to Putin. Um, in the context of the uh, the criticisms of the Obama administration, uh, there's a reading here that the Obama administration is viewing this incorrectly, that they're framing uh, tensions in uh, in Russia and Ukraine uh, as a 19th century act in the 21st century. And this plays into Obama's view that the Cold War is over with. But the talk now this week is, as well, maybe it's not. Maybe we need to start looking at some Cold War type tactics. And maybe Obama needs to change his foreign policy playbook to react to this aggression that's taking place in Russia.
0: Derek, Germany has a stronger relationship with Russia than any other Western power. There is a substantial economic relationship and Germany imports 40% of its gas from Russia. How is Angela Merkel responding to this crisis?
4: Well, she seems to be very anxious to um, show herself that she's calm but strong. Um, I mean, if you go into her office, you'll see a picture on her desk of uh, Catherine the Great, the great Russian leader who just happened to come from from uh, Germany. And she always says that's her role model, somebody who's respected um, but... For being far-sighted and not being excitable, and um, that really seems to have been her her, her whole line since this Ukrainian. Um, Affair blew up over the weekend. She spent most of her weekend on the phone between uh, Vladimir Putin and um, Barack Obama, and she she made it quite clear to her spokesman that she thought this um, Putin's reaction was completely unacceptable under international law and any standards. Uh, but on the other hand, she, in her dealings with um, Obama, she's she's saying that look, this is a man who's living in a very different reality to ours, and um, we need to approach this very carefully. And so she's definitely pushing. She's pushing um, the diplomacy line, uh, even if. Um, uh, people are accusing her, particularly uh, on the other side of the Atlantic, of, of appeasement politics.
0: And in Washington, the talk is all of very, very strict and heavy sanctions, targeted sanctions, asset freezes, and also in some parts of Washington, uh, more uh, robust uh, responses. But there's no appetite then in Berlin for anything to do with financial sanctions?
4: Not really at the moment. I think they're anxious just to keep the lines of communications open. What they're very anxious not to give the impression is is that they're uh, it's, it's the same old Germany, um, anxious not to get involved in anything, anxious to talk up its um, its credentials, but when it actually comes down to action, afraid afraid to get down and dirty. Uh, you'll remember uh, during the Libyan crisis, um, Germany put nose out of joint by uh, joining China and um, Russia in abstaining uh, from military action. So they're anxious to get away from that, but they're anxious not to throw themselves into a situation that they, um, they won't be able to control later on. I think when talking to people here, they're very anxious to basically put the ball back in in Vladimir Putin's court. I mean, he quite, uh, he maneuvered uh, the the temporary administration in Kiev into some sort of action. If they acted or reacted, he'd then have his um, excuse for further pushing into uh, Ukrainian territory. She seems to be very anxious to put it back, uh, to put it up to uh, Vladimir Putin. So what do you want to do next? And I think that's really what uh, the the German line seems to be. They really just don't want to provoke anything, Um, particularly uh, Angela Merkel is famous for somebody She doesn't ever like to act until she sort of has an overview of how things are going, what the options are, and that seems to be where we are at the moment.
0: The German Foreign Minister, Frank-Walter Steinmeier, is a Social Democrat veteran of Gerhard Schröder's notoriously cosy with Russia administration and notoriously cosy with Putin. What role is Steinmeier playing in all of this?
4: Well, the Social Democrats I've spoken to sort of seem to be in shock. I mean, you'll remember that the notorious line from Gerhard Schröder was he thought that Vladimir Putin was a lupenreine Democrat, a flawless Democrat, which, of course, with the passing years, uh, just seems to be even more outrageous. Um, But Steinmeier was uh, Schröder's chief of staff, and for many years he sort of lived in uh, Schröder's shadow. Now, he has distanced himself from Schröder, but with this, he definitely seems to be anxious to shake off the notion that he is somehow uh, a mini me to Gerhard Schröder. on the other hand, he is chairman of, the, or he is the foreign minister and the foreign ministry has been suffering under Merkel in the last couple of years, anxious, uh, and now it seems to be anxious to get back some sort of a political profile. So uh, his his own house is very anxious to be seen as uh, a player in this, but on the other hand, he is pretty much cut from merkel's claw that uh, diplomacy is a success diplomacy that prevents war is not a failure and that seems to be very much the line but uh, definitely among the social democrats there is sort of a shock that putin has sort of revealed himself to be that what everyone else has been accusing him of being for years
0: Uh, paddy eu leaders are meeting on thursday in an emergency summit to discuss the situation what's likely to come out
2: of that well, I think that, despite all their talk of uh, Putin paying a price, um, there is not yet the appetite for for sanctions. In fact, there was an extraordinary leak last night of a British uh, official document. Um, a briefing paper, uh, as somebody was going into him, Downing Street, was caught on on camera. And it said very clearly that Britain should not support sanctions against um, uh, Russia and particularly uh, anything that would discourage its investment in the city. That's uh, also uh, noises like that coming out of other countries like, like Holland, which is Russia's biggest export market. Um, I think that the emphasis will be on diplomacy, high-level uh, talks with the Russians, uh, an attempt to see where they can move on from there. Um, there have been sounds, um, for example, about discussing a new constitution in Ukraine which would would, would uh, allow for federalization of the country, which might allow the Russian speakers uh, a, a good deal of autonomy. And, and I suspect that that might come up in the course of the, of the leader's uh, speech. There will obviously be a statement condemning the act of aggression, but no, I think no, not going beyond that.
0: How much influence does the European Union have on the new administration in Kiev? I mean, are they in a position to actually propel the new administration into uh, proposing a constitution along those lines?
2: I think that I think that they, what the, the Europeans say to them, they will certainly listen to. Uh, that they're, they're very dependent. Um, they they desperately need cash. Uh, Kerry is there at the moment, the U- U.S. Secretary of State. Uh, with some financial assistance. The IMF is in town also uh, uh, seeing if it can produce some emergency financial assistance, and they're very much hoping that the Europeans will do so too. So suggestions, gentle prodding from the Europeans, I think would certainly, would certainly see them moving in the right direction. Uh, Derek, in Washington and in some European
0: capitals, this uh, whole crisis is being seen almost as the start of a new Cold War. Is there any sense of that magnitude, of a, a crisis of that magnitude in Berlin?
4: No, I think there's just, there is serious. Concern about the situation, and there is serious concern about how predictable or unpredictable will the Russian reaction be. Some social democrats are talking to are saying, look, we need to see this in the context of how Russia views the world and its view of Ukraine as sort of the uh, cradle of, of as Russia as Russian itself. And um, so there there isn't really the this is there's a concern that it's serious, but I think their their whole action, they're they're trying to be the voice of sense in this that between the um the the actions of Vladimir Putin and the reaction of Washington, and um, that Berlin sees itself as perhaps uh, as, this, as this sort of east-west connector and that it can be a voice of sense in all this. I mean, it was from Germany. They were the ones resisting at the weekend uh, calling off meetings with Russia. There was um, They came up with the two ideas of a fact-finding mission and a contact group. So Germany, I think, is trying to um, brush up its own credentials uh, that it sort of tarnished in the last administration by proving it can be a, a calm head and a, a constructive voice at the heart of Europe.
0: Derek Scaly in Berlin, Simon Carswell in Washington and Paddy Smith here in Dublin, thank you. And that's all from this edition of Worldview. From producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer Robert Sullivan and from me, Dennis Staunton, goodbye.